Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why, hello everyone, and welcome back to Baby Got Batch. Hi, Brett. What's up, Camila? It's good to see you. Good to see you too. It's been a minute since we've, you know, sat here in front of each other on the Zooms. Um, I miss you, Brett. No, no, I've missed you too. I mean, it's it's been what two weeks and change, but it just it feels like years. It feels, feels like, like years, years, Camila. Feels it's like too years. long. I can't have that much withdrawal time. You know, it's can't can't. Um, Brett, oh, I saw your you're starting to do friend get togethers in your new apartment, and I'm jealous. I think I'm coming back this summer, though. So, hell yeah, sure. I hope so. so. Listen, there's a there's so many. So, uh, the circle just came back, which is oh my, my actual favorite reality show, like yeah. above Bachelor. Uh, and then I know that we've got like too hot to handle coming out too. So now <gasps> that we're getting to the point where, yeah, like I think it's after in maybe June. So now that we're getting to the point where Bachelor is going to come back, although I can't watch that with people because I need to like focus and take notes yeah. and tweet and all that. But yeah, we're getting to the point where friends are vaccinated. And I'm like, oh, come on over, watch The Circle, have a good time, drink some Trulies or something. Like it's just a grand old time. It's great. Ugh, I can't wait to be a part of it again. Um, yeah. But yes, Brett, you correctly, very observantly pointed out that it's been – you know, a few weeks since we've chatted, it's been a couple weeks since we put out an episode. And the reason for that, uh, well, we have an exciting announcement for you guys. Um, we were kind of, that's my drum roll. And the drum roll is for the fact that we were actually, um, in partnership talks with, with ACAST. And we're really, yeah, we were really excited to announce that we, we said yes. We said yes to the dress. Um, and said we are, yes to the rose. Uh, you yeah, went we with the said rose. yes to oh the dress God. on a bachelor podcast. Wow. Camila. Camila, man. Well, we listen, it still works. There were many, <laughs> there were many contenders. Um, we met on many dates. And we, at the end, we accepted. We gave our final rose to ACAST. And we are extremely excited to be a part of the ACAST family. So, yay. Yeah, and no, Absolutely. And I got to say that we would have never been approached by anyone um, if it wasn't for the fact that we had just this great listenership out the gate. So all of you guys listening, thank you so much. Um, We really appreciate that you're here and we're happy to be here chatting with you and chopping it up about The Bachelor. Heck yeah. And uh, Camila, just to reiterate everything you said, it's like we often say, it's like, oh, we really appreciate people who listen and all that. But this is just testament that, you know, we couldn't have done it without all these people who yeah. listen and share with their friends and rate and review and subscribe and keep that up consistently because it keeps it so that we can keep doing this for, you know, not only Katie's season, Michelle's season, Bachelor in Paradise, but 
however long this franchise lasts. Oh, it's probably into, into all of Bachelor Eternity. <laughs> uh, but no, we're really, really excited not only to you know keep giving you episodes, but then to get to know our little Acast partners too. And they've been great so far. We just uh, we were head over heels for them pretty much immediately, and we had to chill. But uh, yeah, very exciting stuff. Yeah. And on that note, shall we shall we get into the episode that we have for everyone this week? So, our guest this week, a drum roll again, is beep, 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 Tammy beep, Lee. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, I really <laughs> jumped your drum roll. Really drumped oh. it. Um, That's okay. But uh, no, so Tammy Lee is our guest this week, and she has a really special place in my heart. You know, not only because I've gotten to know her like pretty personally over the past year and change. And she's become a close friend, but she's also a fellow Syracusian, which is awesome. Little little go orange, even though I'm not a sports boy. Go area code three one five. Just uh, hits a little closer to home, you know. And you know, you might remember her from Peter Weber's season, aka Pilot, Pilot Pete. Pete? Uh, I was, gonna, of I was the just going to say, you call him Pilot Pete right now. I mean, that, there you go. It's his formal title, if you will. Uh, but you might remember her from his season last year, even though that feels like an eternity ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who knows? Maybe maybe you'll see her on a beach somewhere soon. Who knows? I don't know. I literally don't know. But uh, without further ado, let's get into our chat with Tammy Lee. So... Tammy, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for, you know, giving us your time and your attention for a little bit. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to finally be on the famous Baby Got Back. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, you're going to make me blush a little bit. No, I'm so, so, so happy you're here. And listen, like, not only because I want to talk to you, but also we have two Syracusian natives in the house for people who might not be aware uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, listen, so you're still in Syracuse. I got the fuck out of there real quick. So I think you can more own it. You know, you're like, just like, no, I am staying true to this 315 business. But listen, listen I, I just had to say, like, you know, when I first, I am still remembering in the before times, you know, the, the before Corona times when the Peter season was announced and swing. I was like, wait, this Syracuse person, I think it was. Our, do you know if you're like the first Syracuse, like fully? I am. Like, I am the first. Really owning it? Yeah. First Central New Yorker, uh, first person from Syracuse. Everyone else, they went to school in Syracuse, but they did not grow up yeah. in Syracuse. Yeah. But. And that doesn't count. It doesn't count. There's a lot of, because didn't like Ashley I, I think, go to Syracuse? Yep. And like there was all these people, but. Ashley I went to Syracuse and Riley actually went to Syracuse as well. Whoa, mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. Wow, yeah. dang. And I've like t- chatted with him before. It never come up. Well, that's fun. But still, you're like the, you're the, the agent, if you will. I couldn't oh, think geez. of any better word than agent. <laughs> you're just the representative. I suppose that's better. Listen, I, it's really cheap to live here and I travel a lot anyways. And it's just a nice place to come back home because the cost of living is really cheap and I can just fly wherever I want to. So that's why I still live here. But... I will be in the city a lot more often now because I just signed with a brokerage um, down in the city, Manhattan. So I will be be flying there back and forth a lot. So 
Dinner's on me next time. So you're going to be, I was going to say like, so you're going to be rich like now, basically. That's just like what I assume is that like people who like do real estate in Manhattan are like, oh, so you're better than me. (laughs) No. (laughs) Look at us go. But I do have to ask just like, I kind of know how you are because we like actually talk and are are friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, how are you right now? Like the actual like, oh, I'm good. Like whatever. And also like the real answer, if you feel so inclined, like it's been a rough Shout out to we're not really uh, strangers. How are you really? I love that. Um, I'm actually doing really good. The beginning of quarantine was really rough for me, but um, I usually take the sorrows of my life and I use it as fuel and then I just like go gung ho. So the remainder of 2020 was amazing for me. And then the kickstart or kickstarting 2021 has been nothing but just like, go, go, go. Like as soon as I think I can relax for two seconds, something else mm-hmm. pops up and like is a huge opportunity. So yeah, it's been really good so far. Wait. So when you said the very beginning of quarantine was rough for you, like, I mean, I can, I can guess why that might be, um, <laughs> but what, what kind of like specifically made it, made it tough? Well, I went from having six jobs to having just one job, um, which I know is not, I'm so lucky to have a job when everyone else lost their job, but it was just like, that's a huge shift for me. And it made me feel like I was not using my time very well. And for me, like I have a lot of anxiety of like the work that I put into this world. So I was dealing with a lot of anxiety back then. And, you know, obviously I got a pay cut from five jobs to one job. And then I lost uh, on two shows that I booked. So that was yeah. really sad. And yeah. yeah. This is this is uh, going to get deeper than I meant to get this early. But like it just kind of came to me. But uh, are you someone who just like their identity is essentially their work? And then like when work is in flux, it kind of shatters your identity. A yes. Bit? And I hate that. And I'm trying to work on um, separating my identity to my work. Because yes, my work is my, literally my pride and joy in this life is my work, but I need to be something else other than working Tammy because I am so much more than that and I'm slowly trying to work on it, but yeah. (laughs) Do you think you've kind of always been that way or is that like a recent? No, I've always been that way. Um, I got kicked out when I was young. So like, I've always like worked a lot just to make sure that I, I always achieve this style of life. And for me to get there, you have to work really hard, you know, because all the odds were against me. I'm an Asian woman who was like very young at the time, which everything, all three of those things were just worst things to be in a workplace. But yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Oh, we're deep early on. It's only been 10 minutes. Yeah, I know we're going for it. Listen, this is like this kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If you, if it's okay with asking, if not, you know, we can move forward, but you just kind of dropped a little bomb at least for the people who don't uh know you very well or follow you very well about you were kicked out um at a young age can you tell us a little bit about that yeah so i'm i'm pretty much an open book i don't mind sharing i think the struggles in life were the best things that happened to me because i wouldn't be who i am today but i did not get along with my parents um a lot growing up especially my dad and then my mom left me when they got divorced and that's who i stayed with at the time cuz i thought that she was obviously the closer parent that i was yeah. with So I was kind of left to do things on my own. And long story short, um, I'm also the parental figure like for my sisters as well. So like not am I only trying to maintain my life and like my emotional state, but I also have to make sure my sisters are taken care of, you know, financially and emotionally. But yeah, 
So fast forward now, we're all in good terms. Me and my parents have been better than ever. And it's more of like a like an adult friendship relationship and less more of a child parent relationship, which I always, um, you know, resented my parents for not giving me that kind of relationship growing up. But again, ultimately it was for the best thing because I would have not worked as hard as I have without their neglect. And people always ask me like, I bet your parents are so proud. Like you work so hard and they're so successful. And I'm like, well, their lack of, in my life is what drew drove me to be the hardworking person that I am, you know? Yeah. But one, one actually a bit of like a random follow-up to that too, because you just kind of described one, how old were you when your, your parents got separated? Um, I was 14. Okay. So that was like when you were essentially on your own, at least for a bit or with your, your sister. Well, my sister stayed with my dad and I stayed with my mom, um, obviously because me and my dad did not get along. And then my mom started dating and then just, stopped showing back home. And then I was just left by myself, uh, to feed myself when I was younger, I couldn't drive. So I started driving when I was, uh, 15, which I don't recommend, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) but I had to get places. Like I had to get to high school and make like, no one knew in high school what was going on. Cause I just tried to make my life look so normal from the outside. Because Mm -hmm. I think in a sense, if it looked normal to me in my mind, it, it almost, felt normal, even though it wasn't. So. Yeah. I think we're seeing a little bit less of this narrative, especially like this past season, but you know, with like the bachelor for the most part, it very much romanticizes and tries, I, I suppose, homogenize like relationships to be like, Oh, like my parents were together for like 30 years and mm-hmm. I'm trying to emulate that exact narrative for like my life. So I'm curious what your feelings are on that just being like a narrative to copy in in general. Yeah. I mean, watching The Bachelor, like I felt so out of place, like getting into it because all these people have these beautiful families and I know all families aren't going to be perfect, you know, but they have, their parents are still together and they have been married for so many years and their parents just set them up for success and paid their college tuition and just, you know, loved them so much. And I don't have that family. I mean, my parents, of course, we all love each other now, blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. but, sure. but it still stays with you. It's still, it's still very real yeah. in that moment. Can definitely relate. So that's why I'm like, I, I hear you. It doesn't matter how you're doing now. Yeah. Right. And for me, it was hard to even like my normal dating life without the bachelor stuff. It's like, how do I bring up my broken family to my significant other when they have such a perfect family mm-hmm. where they get together during Easter and you know, mm-hmm. have family dinners every Sunday. Like I don't have that. Mm-hmm. So that's a hard thing to get by. And hopefully whatever happens next, I'll be able to tell more of my story on that because I feel like there's a lot more uh, quote unquote broken families in this world that people mm-hmm. aren't highlighting on. And we're just highlighting on these like picture perfect families, um, you know, just to make sure that everyone is seen because not all families are going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and well, you know, obviously I appreciate you sharing all that, you know, I know you're an open book, but I know it's like still, you know, tough to, you know, kind of reflect on that sometimes, no matter where you're at, you know, these days. So just know, send in like love and support your way. Um, and then, you know, on that note, I would be, you know, remiss to not bring up just like in the Asian community, the, the past month, the past year, how visceral of a time it's been. And I know that you've been really, um, 
you know, you, you've been very vocal ab- about that over the past, you know, not only weeks, but past year, you know, and mm-hmm. um, so I, I don't know if there's anything that you wanted to kind of, um, you know, speak on what you've been personally going through or what you wish people were more aware of in the Asian community or anything, but. I wish people were just more aware of that racism exists in all races. And just because it's not trendy doesn't mean it's not as important, you know? And I feel like I even feel the lack of support now, even with like the stop Asian hate movement, it's not as loud and as strong. And I'm not asking for it to be louder and stronger. I'm just asking for something because people aren't taking it as seriously because it's not as trendy as um, the BLM movement, you know? And I would never take, the spotlight from that. But like I was there and I know a lot of Asian Americans were there to support our fellow black, um, you know, friends who needed our help then. And all we're asking for is just a a sliver of that support because we need your help now, you know? And it's just very difficult Mm -hmm. to see like people who have audiences don't speak up on that. I will say in Bachelor Nation, especially it's like, Oh cool. You have a really cool outfit, but you're not going to speak on anything that's important and use your audience for, good. You know, you're basically just using it for clout, which is what I'm okay with. And like, that's the whole purpose of like, listen, I get we're on a TV show. And to an extent, um, there is like the joy of being on a TV show in general in that. But with that, I want to build an audience to be able to speak on situations just like this, because there's not going to be people who are as loud and as prominent of uh, an Asian American audience as the handful of people like Bling Empire or uh, Crazy Rich Asians, you know, there's very few of us Asian Americans who are able to speak on things that we have been so silent about for so long. So, yeah. Um, so you actually referenced um, or it reminded me of a tweet that I pulled up essentially like uh, in Bachelor World, you have all of these people with like the biggest platforms, right? Mm-hmm. Who aren't necessarily being like the most vocal. So what do you think is a bit of like a fair expectation for, you know, people who are following these influencers, especially like these mega influencers, if you will, um, you know, what to expect from them as far as, uh, you know, I mean, this, the past, you know, a couple of weeks, months we've had, you know, whether it's bachelor world specifically, or just the world in general, whether it's like capital riots or, you know, stop Asian hate, things, things like that. Um, what do you think is a fair expectation for people to respond and comment on like whether it's world events or Taylor's tweets or Rachel Kirkconnell's um, many things? I think that timing is all per the person. Cause like a lot of people DM me and they're like, you're not saying anything. You're not saying enough. It's like, well, can I have time to process it for just one second, please? Like I want to post things on my time because I want it to be genuine from what my thoughts are of the situation. I think like, I'm not asking you to fight nail and death for the rights of people of that. You don't relate to. Like, I just am asking for you to just maybe repost things like simple things as you posting every minute on your Instagram story, but you can't post one thing about our issues of the world or even in bachelor nation itself, which you are a part of, you know, like just something to make us seem like, Hey, I hear your, cry for help. And I'm trying to do what I can in my part as little as just having this repost where my millions of followers can see that I also support this uh, movement, you know, but they just don't post anything. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, 
And and yeah, no, I, I very much feel you on the how, how how tough it can be to like process, you know, certain things, especially, you know, I mean, I can't, uh, you know, begin to understand what it's like with um, such hatred affecting like my, you know, community directly as much as you can, as much as a lot of friends that I have, um, you know, but we've had a lot of different things. I mean, you know, for example, both you and I knew Taylor mm-hmm. um, and that definitely I know that we talked about it took a lot of processing and um, th- I think that's probably a fair thing to um, um, let people have. Right? Yeah. Um, anyway, no, I know that we're getting, we're getting very <laughs> heavy, you know, so I suppose we can veer it into uh bachelor territory a little bit. Okay. <laughs> and on that note, um, so, Tammy, uh, you were cast on last year's season of The Bachelor, you know, 2020 with Peter Weber, a.k.a. Pilot Pete. So for the listeners who may not be super familiar with you or your time on the show, would you mind giving us a rundown of your storyline slash journey, um, so to speak, that America saw of yours last year? Yeah. So I was on season 24 of The Bachelor with Pilot Pete. And I was very excited. I was the first full Asian American to ever be cast for the show. Um, it was me and Jasmine, and we were actually the first Vietnamese people. Um, I am a spitfire personality. Um, I find humor as a way of coping with my emotions. And that really drove my storyline for the first half of the season. And then towards the end of the season, I just encountered some problems, as we all do, with dating the same guy with a couple of the girls and left on a note where it may not be as favorable in some people's eyes. But people who know me and like can relate to my story know that that's just me standing up for myself and, you know, me just not ever backing down because I'm not ever going to back down. You know, I'm not that personality. But. Yeah, things happen. And of course, we're all going to fight. We're dating the same guy. And that's just the way it is. But everyone's yeah. good now. So can you yeah. um, elaborate a little bit on what it is exactly that what you're describing in terms of, you know, leaving on a not so favorable note? So I just called out to the girls um, on the show just for things that I saw and um, actions that I saw between both of them. And it just spiraled into something that I didn't think would ever happen, but it was me that basically took the blame for everyone else as well, which kind of sucks, but that's the way it happens. So I left on an impromptu two on one in Chile. (laughs) And that was that, that was the end of my story with pilot Pete. Yeah. Um, when you say that you took the blame for everyone else, do you mean that there were other women involved in the, you know, the drama that we saw that ended up culminating in the two on one? Yes. Um, a lot of the people felt the same way that I felt. So, um, I had an issue with Kelsey. She just was very upset and drowning herself in her sadness, you know, by herself. And Mm -hmm. I felt like I should check up on her. And when I checked up on her, she was just very intoxicated. And I get that it's a tough time for everyone, but, um, me dating a person who had a problem with alcohol before, I just saw some red flags. I never called her an alcoholic. I just saw some red flag um, actions. So I brought it up to Peter to try to just tie it in with like how my ex relationship really um, traumatized me and like what it was about me, but that was never shown either. So it just made it look like I was just attacking this girl. Right. But 
There were other rumors around like she was pill popping, which um, another person started. And then somehow I took the blame for it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And with McKenna? Yeah. And then with McKenna, I I didn't think she was here for the right reasons. You know, the typical, yeah, we're not here for the right reasons (laughs) thing. And (laughs) I showed him proof of like why she wasn't. I like literally pulled up the blog posts and everything that she said that she, her only goal in life is to be on the bachelor, which is crazy to me. I mean, if that's your goal, sure. But like my goals are to be on like Forbes 30 under 30, you know, like it's, that's not my ultimate goal is to be an influencer. But I saw that and like, I understand she is young as well. And I just didn't think she was here for the right reasons. I brought up to Peter, Peter agreed, but then ultimately did not go on my side. Um, but I'm sure that someone else that night also said something to him because she went home during the rose ceremony that night anyways. Right. So one thing I wanted to uh, touch on is like, I, I know, uh, you know, said so it's like, Oh, we're all good now. It's water under the bridge. It's like, is that actually true? Is it like actually all water under the bridge or, and if it is great. Uh, but I suppose the follow up question I had is like, how did you all get there? Yeah. If it is like the case where you're, you're all good now. Um, after the woman tell all, me and Kelsey just spoke a little bit. We were just going to agree that we were just never going to agree. And it's okay. You don't vibe with people. You're not going to get along with everybody. Yeah. We just coexist. And we're bound by something that we can't share with anybody else, which is that season. Mm-hmm. You know, so we just, I have nothing ill against her. I don't think she has anything yeah. ill against me. And that's called For McKenna, maturity. I, yeah, it's called maturity. You, you have mm. to know that you're not going to get along with everyone, you know, yeah. and that's okay. Um, and then for McKenna, I she did not want to talk to me whatsoever afterwards because she wanted everything to be done on camera, um, which mm. I'm not okay with. Like I'd rather us be okay without the cameras around than having to have an audience for to see that we're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, for yeah. me that my, that audience was not important. For me, it was just to see if we were okay. She refused to talk to me, and then fast forward, um, I was talking with her on Instagram during my birthday when I was in Austin, Texas with Jasmine and Alea. And then we made up a little bit, followed each other on Instagram. It was fine. And then she blocked me again when I went on Olivia Caridi's podcast because I was just explaining the situation and it just seemed like she wasn't listening to the full podcast. Mm. She was just listening to the negative parts, which I repeatedly oh, say yeah. like, we're okay. Like I like her content. This is why I follow her. I think she's a great person. This is just why I felt xyz at that time yeah but she can only hear the negatives she just wanted an excuse just to not be cordial with me and that's fine she just holds grudges and i don't i have nothing ill against her but she blocked me again so there's there's that <laughs> so that's um, where that's where you're currently at that's where current we're currently day? at um oh, to boy. me okay she, yeah to me she's <laughs> irrelevant doesn't even exist in my mind so i don't really care if she hates me or likes me <laughs> gotcha fair enough um so hearing you talk about it and you're, you know, you're saying, you know, you ended in an unfavorable light and then you had these, you know, disagreements or these like moments of tension. I want to key in on the, on the fact that you said, you know, I left in an unfavorable light. Um, and you know, the people who know, you know, the people who know, you know, you, um, so with that said, would you say that you were given, um, some version of a villain edit? Um, yeah. I think I was. I think, again, we, this is before the whole Black Lives Matter movement and everything like that. It's just that we all know that this is a very prominently Caucasian show and they favor 
Caucasian contestants over people of color and were just secondary characters to them. And I didn't think they expected for a minority to be as prominent of a character as I was. So I think they just, yeah. I mean, how bad does it look that I'm quote unquote bullying these innocent white girls, you know, on their primarily white show. So, well, so with that being said, um, recently, you know, I, I mean, we've seen this past season was like crazy with the villainry left, right and center. Um, and the clear like prioritization of specific women who it seemed very clearly didn't have, you know, a real connection uh, with the lead Matt James and, you know, for the sake of drama and what have you. And I feel like in regards to this conversation about like the villain um, in The Bachelor, we, Brett and I, but also I think generally Bachelor Nation, we started hearing the saying over and over again um, that in regards to reality TV, it's hard to make a good person look bad, but it's easy to make a bad person look worse. You know, looking back and reflecting on who you were when you went on the show, do you feel that that saying applies to you in any way? Like how does hearing that saying like make you feel knowing that you um, had the edit that you had? I think, I don't think I'm a bad person. I know that I'm not a bad person and I don't think that saying is true. I think that we're all humans. We all have flaws and editing will make your flaws look even worse, unfortunately, you know, mm-hmm. but if you're a favorable character, like some of the people who made it to the top, um, 10 of people who were white, they also had flaws as well, but they were never shown because it makes them look bad, you know, and it takes away from the love story if they were shown as bad. But trust me, these people all have bad flaws too. I mean, we're all human. We all have good and bad flaws. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had kind of touched on too, as far as like, you know, if you're essentially fighting for screen time, you know, mm-hmm. or connection or what have you, I suppose, whatever, you know, part of that you want to focus on part of that equation. Right. Um, you know, if you're competing with like Hannah X, Hannah Y, Hannah Z, and it's all of these like blonde, you know, white women, you know, you might have to make that much more of a presence, you know, mm-hmm. in order to, you know, cause I, I know that there, you know, you had like Catherine with, with Sean season, but beyond that, there, there really hasn't been like Asian representation like in, in this show. So I think you obviously have these lessons now as far as like, yeah, you know, this show is going to really exploit your flaws, right? Mm-hmm. So going into it, did you sort of know what you were getting yourself into in that respect specifically? Um, I knew to an extent, but I didn't think it was going to be this bad, of course. Um, mm-hmm. I think the Asian Americans that were shown previously who were favorable are half Asian, you know, so they, they do look more Americanized mm-hmm. than me and Jasmine and Serena do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's... It sucks to see, and I hope that there's a shift in that because that's just because we're not these like timid Asian, you know, cutesy little Asian girls. Like we're going to be very strong people like me and Serena are. Um, I think they were just expecting otherwise because they wanted us to be secondary characters and we're not secondary characters. Yeah. More and more people are wisening up to the fact that, you know, producers play a hand in the drama that we see on on our TVs. You know, we just ran through the little... I guess feuds or so to speak that, you know, garnered you your villain edit. But you've also, when we were going through it, you mentioned that you saw certain things and that you, you wanted to bring those things to Peter's attention and that, you know, you were, there was also pressures of 
of like, you know, things that, things that go wrong when you're dating the same guy as a bunch of other women. And so that mm-hmm. being said, like, were there any moments that you felt like the producers were trying to, you know, egg you along? Like, did, were there any moments where you felt like maybe you didn't feel it in the moment? Maybe you re- realized it like after the fact um, that you kind of felt like, oh, this is, there's like another hand in play here. At the end of it all, our actions are our own actions. They don't force you to do anything, but it is a mind game. And I knew that if I was going to make my time on the show worth anything besides a secondary character, I had to be in the shit with people, unfortunately, because uh, girls like me don't get far in this bachelor world, you know? So we all knew that Peter was not going to end up with an Asian girl. Let's just be real here. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I did have to be in the shit. And like, that's why I was more vocal towards those things that I expressed between those two girls than I would have normally been because I probably would have gone home. You know, would I rather be forgotten or would I rather, you know, say what I was thinking anyways? It's just, uh, I don't know. The whole alcoholic thing was what really did not sit well with me. Um, they knew about my ex-boyfriend and like, I was let you put two and two together, but there was definitely a mind game of if I should say something or not. And it almost made me feel guilty if I didn't say something, because how could I let that happen again in my life of mm. what happened with my alcoholic ex-boyfriend? So, mm. yeah. It sounds like, you know, feel free to cough once if this is accurate um or not say anything at all but it sounds like a producer probably your producer you know who knows this backstory about you you tell her that you stumbled upon kelsey extremely drunk and crying or something like that and then the producer kind of turns around and starts saying like oh maybe she has a problem like how you know feeding these things and then weaving it into your past and like almost making it your responsibility to not have the past repeat itself like a personal responsibility type of thing so um she's not saying anything but she is nodding her head um (laughs) for the listeners at home um but yeah producer magic i mean they get paid the big bucks for a reason damn listen we i am the closest with the producers actually than i am with the girls on the show Mm -hmm. Um, I am a very understanding human. I like to sit outside of the box and look in to see what the situation is. They have a job. They're very good at their jobs. It's a TV show. At Mm -hmm. the end of it all, it's a, it's a TV show for entertainment. Those actions were my actions. I did do those things. Um, I never called her an alcoholic, which I wish people would stop saying that I did because I would never use that term loosely like that, especially with me dealing with that situation prior with someone who was very close in my life. Um, but yeah, at at the end of it all, it was my best chance because I would have just been a secondary character, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This theme seems to keep coming up (laughs) that, (laughs) you know, you didn't want to be secondary character when, you know, it's a mind game and we have heard this in other situations as well with reality TV. Like if you want to have screen time, do you want to be remembered or do you want to just like fade into the background? And so it kind of sounds like in a way maybe even if you weren't originally there for the wrong reasons it seems like almost maybe you started to play the game in terms of knowing what would get you more screen time and what would make you more memorable knowing that you probably wouldn't end up with Peter which I don't blame you for that at all I'm sure 
most people do that on the show. Like, if you're not going to get the guy, you might as well get the next best thing, which is kind of like a bump in your career in some way. But do you feel any sort of like cognitive dissonance in terms of like that theme is kind of what you went after McKenna for? Mm, Okay, so I've thought about this a lot too. I am not here for, you know, the Revolve sponsorships and all the clothes and the makeup. Mm -hmm. My ultimate goal or my ultimate goal obviously was to find someone. My secondary goal, as we all are on the show, is to create an audience because I want to fight for things that are important in the things that I believe in, just like the Stop Asian Hate Movement. And like, I want to be a voice for people who don't have voices and we're so scared and timid. Like, I've not always been a very loud person. I let people step all over me. I've always been a secondary character to the Caucasian people in my life, in high school, my friends. Um, I just always felt the ugliest if it was comparing me to a white girl, I've, I wanted to look just like a blonde white girl, you know, growing up. And I realized that, like, I will never be that. And I know there's so many people who are have been in my shoes, who've been Asian American, who have felt the same thing, you know. So I want to have that voice. And to have that voice, I have to have the audience to fight for the things that I believe in. You know, I could care less about the clothes, the makeup, that the sponsorships. I have a real job. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. The sponsorships are a plus to this whole thing too, but that is not my main reason. And there are people like that who at the time I felt McKenna was there for just sponsorships and, you know, to get revolved clothing. She always talked about Instagram followers. And like, for me, I don't value myself based off of an Instagram follower count. For me, I base off of it as how I relate to my audience. Um, and I want to, I want to mean something to my audience. You know, I'm, I don't want to just be a pretty face with a cute in, like outfit of the day picture. So that's what I mean about yeah. right reasons and wrong reasons. So towards the end of it, did I think that I didn't have a chance with him anymore? Absolutely. I do think that our relationship was stronger than it was, um, which is why I felt comfortable to tell him these things um, in the first place. Cause at the end of it all, it's not my love story. It's his love story. And all I can do at this point being that far into it is, help him guide his decisions off of what I see. And I think that I would want that for my friends too. You know, if I saw a red flag, I would tell my friends that, Hey, this is not X, Y, Z. This is not great. Or this is a red flag. So I think people see it as like blaming or like me doing the same thing that I was blaming McKenna for, but it's two whole different reasons here and two whole different goals. Yeah. Yeah. 
I am, you know, because I just kept hearing it over and over and over again. Mm. Um, and that takes a toll on your mental health. Even though I knew who I was, I have no doubts in that. But when you're at that volume, it's hard to not think that at some point. I think that sure. people need to see the 360 version of me and the stories behind my life to see why I fight for the people that don't have voices. Why I fight for my voice always, you know, because I was, I never had that half of more than half of my life. I never fought for my own voice. So me being vocal and standing up for myself sometimes comes off as like me quote unquote bullying people, but that's because I'm not an emotional front person. Like I'm not a crier really. I'm not, I don't lead with emotions. I lead with logic and realistic situations. And that might come off as cold or that I'm just this mean girl, but I'm not a mean girl whatsoever. Cause anyone who knows me knows that I give my whole world to the people that I care about. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, but it's also misogyny, um, like patriarchy, sexism, misogynoir, like the, it's, you know, these are labels that people, society have put on women, strong women for forever and ever in ways to invalidate them and keep them down and make them smaller. You know, it's the right. same with the angry black woman. Right. Exactly. Would they feel the same if I was a man? Exactly. No, they wouldn't. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah like I was saying, it's like the, the angry black woman or the, the feisty, sassy Latina. Like it doesn't matter what type of woman you are. Like there's a different pigeonhole for you to go into to keep you down. And so what you're doing is that you're refusing to be held down by these labels that have always been put on us so i mean that's exactly what it is yeah yeah so um we recently interviewed olivia caridi i know you said that you went on her podcast um and i love she, her i know she she was really great i think you'll like that episode but she is known um for being the villain of ben higgins season and one of the most famous and iconic and hated villains of this franchise to date um, but your villain edit was a bit different um, in that Peter season and even recently Matt James season, um, there seemed to be a different villain like every other episode. Like it felt like in the Bachelor franchise of yore, it used to be like one singular person absorbed all of the villainry and then they went home some sometime through the middle to last quarter of the season and then like the love stories took over. And then it's felt recently that it is straight villainy left right and center um why do you think that the show has gone this way like why do you think producers have maybe chosen this route i don't think it's who's a villain who's not a villain you know it's in all situations there's always going to be a bad guy and a good guy in all situations i think what i liked about my season is that there was never really one pinpointed person as a villain because there was actually a bunch of us who had our moments, you know, but that just shows that we're not perfect people. It's okay to be mad. Sometimes it's okay to have problems with people because that's what makes us human. You know, that's what makes us genuine human beings where we're not this fake person who's just like, I'm going to agree with everything that everyone says. And I'm just going to fit the mold that everyone wants me to fit in because that's not how we should be living life. Um, I think even, especially with Matt James season, it was a dynamic of people of who is quote unquote, the villain. And I, again, it makes for more entertaining TV. Why do people watch TV? Reality shows, especially, it's because they sometimes are dumpster fires. Look at the Jersey Shore era. <laughs> they were all dumpster fires. And we watched that <laughs> show religiously as like tweeny boppers, you know? So I just think that it makes great for TV. And it gives people, 
more of a human sense than a character sense. Yeah. So, so interesting. Do you think that the show that this most recent season was improved by all of the, the drama and all the villainry villain arcs? It's hard to say because people are always going to complain if the show was this or that. If there was no villains, I guarantee people would say the show is too boring this season and blah, 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 blah. And then, then they, we have the extremes now where it's like everyone was a villain and they didn't focus on the love story, blah, 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 you know? But that also falls into the dynamic of the lead. You know, if he's not forming these relationships with multiple people, there has to be another storyline besides just a love story. Mm, do you think so you think matt james wasn't forming relationships with anyone but rachel i don't think so Mm, interesting okay um that circles me back to another question i want to ask you when you said you know like i knew like there was a point where you knew you were not going to be with peter um i think we've been starting to hear that from you know some of the other people that we've interviewed uh did you have a sense of who was going to win like did you know who was going to be like the top two or three i knew i knew night one yeah, I knew night one because those are the girls that are cookie cutter, perfect people for Bachelor World. And again, this, this is before all of the movements. So mm-hmm. those people were front runners. Even they knew they were front runners. Yeah. Interesting. Who were the so, can you name the women that you. Yeah, I knew it was going to be Maddie and Hannah Ann. Hannah Ann for sure. Um, I thought it was going to be another blonde, but. I mean, again, the dynamic changes when the weeks go by. So, mm-hmm. but those two were definitely the the two that they wanted to just highlight, you know. So I wanted to jump off of when you were very mysteriously saying, like, "Oh, I hope to one day, uh, you know, grace people's screens again, and they can maybe see a little bit more of me." You know, it's like I I picked up where you were putting down there a little bit. So I remain hopeful. That this uh, paradise, you know, we can see you. I feel like you're one of the only single people in Peter's season. I feel like all of them are in like relationships now. I could be wrong, but yeah. So I feel like (laughs) I feel like so. So I don't know. Yeah. So I'm curious. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, you know Peter's season and and just all the different factors that go into it. So now that you've experienced a show theoretically if you were to go to paradise um what might you do differently if kind of anything would there be any sort of i don't know strategy or different mindset that you would go into the experience with i am still debating if i am going or not um with the way the show is right now i just don't know if i am comfortable with being put back into that uh incubator mm-hmm. let's say yeah but if i were to go again i think i'm more of a guys girl and we all know this. I'm a tomboy. I just get along better with uh, male energy than catty girls. But I feel like that'll be a dynamic for me because there's going to be way more guys and girls. Um, there's maybe a handful of girls from my season that are still single. And then we have Matt James season. And now we have Katie's guys. And then we have Claire and Tasha's guys. So we have a lot of people who are coming to this beach. Um, plus alumni, if they're going to bring any alumni on, but I'm just going to form, I'm just going to be myself, you know? And I think that what did me wrong the first time around was that me being into drama and like, I'm not a dramatic person at all. So if any drama comes my way on the beach, then I'm going to be like, okay, that's cool. I really don't care. (laughs) So you also said something about like, you're not sure because of the way, you know, 
something vague about the way that the season is being set up. Is that in terms of like the production, the production staff, or is that in terms of like casting and who's maybe on the docket to be? The the way the franchise is right now with their whole racial issue and how they're dealing with the racial issue, um, I just, I don't know if it's good for my mental health to be back in that situation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to bear this um, heavy weighted responsibility to represent Asian people because they don't have enough Asian people. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's a lot to hold, you know? Yeah. So I'm just still debating and weighing out my options here to see what is the best option. Cause I, I can't go in there knowing that I'm being set up for failure. Yeah. I think that's key. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose just to address the elephant in the room, you know, how do you feel about Chris being there? Potentially. Randone? No. Chris who? Harrison. Harrison. Oh, I'm like, what? <laughs> or listen, that could be a two parter. We can we can start Why off a little Randall simpler with with mind? Chris Randone. I go, what the heck? Because I'm really I'm really good friends with Chris and I'm like, Chris is going? What? It's like, yeah, I don't know. I think we would vibe. It's fine. Chris Harrison. Um that that's a tough, that's a tough situation. And I understand he's been the face of the franchise for a very long time. Um, I think that he needs to put in work. Him golfing on his time off is not helping his situation here. I think that his interview with Rachel Lindsay just was held with a lot of anger in his words. And like, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that was his downfall. You know, do I think he should lose his job? I honestly don't think he should lose his job. And I know that might be very shocking to hear from someone who especially is a minority, but what is the point of cancel culture if we're not going to help people grow, you know, and for us to make change and he, him being the face of the franchise to have changes to show that we're working on our host to make sure that he's doing the proper um, educational learning and actions to make this right, which means that we're going to extend that between all of the franchise as well. Because if they're going to have someone in power like Chris Harrison and do the change to Chris Harrison, then they could do that for the whole franchise as well. That's the way that I see it. I don't believe yeah. in cancel culture at all. I don't yeah. believe there's room for growth if you cancel people. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think do you think that growth and, you know, things that either you, you know, specifically or um a lot of other contestants or viewers, um, you know, do you think there's actually enough time, uh, you know, between now and whenever Paradise starts filming? I think it's maybe two months, uh, maybe a little bit less than that, actually. Uh, do you logistically? If think he's that not there, time? if he's not there in Paradise, I'm honestly more comfortable with that because that means he's putting in the work. But I don't think he should be shunned from the franchise entirely. I think he should come back at some point. Maybe not now. Because he yeah. needs to, he needs to do some work. Yeah, we have a stance on this, of course, um, about you know how we feel about cancel culture and that we don't necessarily believe in the term. Like, um, but we've talked about this a lot on the show, and I know I've said we believe in consequences for actions and who gets to decide which consequence is like appropriate enough or whatever. That's where it gets dicey. But holding people accountable and a lot of people misconstrue that or fight back by calling that canceling. And so we don't agree with cancel culture in the sense that, you know, if you make one mistake once, like you deserve to go in a hole for the rest of your life. Like that's like really mm-hmm. ridiculous. That's like an extreme and, and all that stuff. Um, right. And so I, it is interesting to hear you say, I love the perspective or the idea of like step away, but come back if like, if, 
it's genuine, like doing the work and stuff come back because then he's like being an example of that can plant seeds for other people who might identify more with him than with an Emmanuel Acho, for example. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then one actually last uh, question and thought on that, because, you know, I know that we, you know, we over here on this podcast are also just like the, the general ether of, you know, a certain part of social media anyway, uh, you know, are very, you know, critical of like the franchise, what, um, Mm -hmm. you know, producers can do better. Chris can do better. Uh, what have you. Right. Um, but uh, something that you've talked about and actually I have one of your old tweets here. I didn't, I didn't like just like real sleuth your tweets, but I did want to pull up this. Oh gosh. Which one is uh, it? It's not. It's nothing crazy. Uh, it's uh, from end of February. You said uh, so. The Bachelor fans want to see change and diversity. Yet look at who they always gravitate towards for change to happen. Fans need to also contribute to that change and not just solely blame the franchise. Yep. And I think that's an incredibly fair, uh, albeit murkier, you know, point to address. But I really wanted to sort of unpack that with you because, yeah, you know, and I'll own that I am very guilty of that too, where it's like. It's like franchise needs to be better. Producers need to be better. Host needs to be better. Executive producer needs to be better. Casting needs to be, you know, but I obviously know that if we see those changes implemented yet, you're still getting vile shit on your personal social media. And so are plenty of, you know, BIPOC women from Peter's season, from Matt's season. Um, I suppose how do we fix that? This is a really general question, but, um, you know, is, is that something where like the change comes from maybe like the production end? And then we, we hope for the best that it eventually, you know, talk about like planting seeds that it disseminates down or how do you sort of see that pathway? Um, I definitely stand by that tweet a hundred percent even now. Um, I think that if we want to see change, we have to do something as a fan base because look at it in a business perspective. They will only release us what we want to see and what we gravitate towards and who we gravitate towards, which statistically, if you look at the numbers are the white contestants. And if you want to make change and see some change, like people, I think, especially in this generation, we tend to yell and yell and yell about change, but then we don't put the actions and the work in ourselves. So how can we expect the franchise to do that? You know, the franchise is made up of hundreds of millions of people. So they can only do what will make money for them. And that's giving what the, what the people, what they want. Um, they casted more people of diversity in my season, even, but no one said anything about that. They casted, of course, way more diverse, um, girls in Matt James season, but look at the follower counts and not saying that followers are worth your, value in this franchise but it statistically you look at who gravitates towards who and the the audience is still gravitating towards the white contestants so why would they show the BIPOC characters if you don't want to see the BIPOC characters you know if you're just going to turn off the tv or if you're just going to not even you know follow up on that and like I don't think the fans realize how heavily their weight is in their aftermath of the show like supporting the characters that they like, you know, and supporting the characters that they want to see again. I mean, all of the Asian characters, I mean, there's only a hand, like maybe less than five of us, but we have the least amount of followers, you know, again, doesn't mean anything, but that's where the audience is not gravitating towards. Why would they keep showing us? Why would they, why would they make our storyline anything prominent in their 
television on in their time slot that they bought in this network, why would they give us that if people aren't going to watch it anyways? Yeah. 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 Well, and also, you know, and, and cause I think about that a lot too, as far as, yeah, you know, again, like the Hannah X's Y's and Z's like have, you know, a million followers easy. And, you know, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what you're at, but you know, it, I think the go-to response when it talks to like follower counts is like, of course it like doesn't mean anything. Well, why it's like, but it literally like does mean something and, or it has value, right? You know, like when you have a sponsorship versus when someone has 2 million followers as, as a sponsorship, that quite literally has a value. So inherently the value of like these white contestants is going to be higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I guess like the course of action is like, if that's still the case, do you double down on still like really uh, having these these diverse casts and just hoping that the change eventually comes? Or I suppose, what do you really think of, uh, yeah, wh- where you go there? Because it is a bit of a dark, nebulous problem. Yeah, I think that they should do what they can on their part for production side, which is cast more diverse people, which they've been doing a really good job at, in my opinion. Um, they need to show more of that and maybe take a loss um, for some time because people are not going to gravitate towards BIPOC characters immediately. But then eventually it will grow on people. And I'm hoping that, yeah. again, the fans will make a huge change in that because that's, yeah, it takes time. And unfortunately, we're very late in the time, you know, mm. but it has to start somewhere. I remember talking with one of my producers. He just straight out told me that, like, this is a very racist country and they just don't want to see minorities in the spotlight, you know, compared Mm. to Caucasian people. And that was just him not being um, mean or anything. He's just telling me the truth. And that is the truth. Then we see it here. That is the truth. Did you have um, any BIPOC producers? Like, was he BIPOC or were they... He was married to a BIPOC woman who they are happily married and they're so cute. Mm -hmm. But I like that I can have those real conversations with my producers because that's what I'm interested in. It's like, how do we make a bigger change and not just a uh, front facing change, you know, just to make it look good, you know, like I want it to be a change that sticks. So I think something you touched on um, throughout this conversation about like what people gravitate towards, you know, we saw like. I know Catherine is um, half Asian, half white, but she is still BIPOC. And she and Sean not only had like this beautiful love story, but people fell in love with them as a couple. They're still happily married. People still Mm -hmm. love them. And so I think a big proponent for them is that, you know, their relationship, I guess, was set up to succeed in some ways. Like if so, you don't really answer the question, um, but I'm assuming that most of the producers are white, if not all white, or at least for a time they were. Um, majority white and do you think that it's possible for that if there are more BIPOC producers they are able to find storylines or find ways to set up BIPOC contestants better like to have storylines that America will want to fall in love with more you know like it's very hard for a white person to tell a BIPOC person's story so do you think that is a major proponent a proponent of why it's been largely unsuccessful so far for the franchise to market you know, the BIPOC contestants as well as the white contestants mm-hmm. to America. Um, I think that does have a play in it to some extent, but let's keep in mind that this is a multi-level production and that the producers who are on set can only do so much. 
because th- there's a whole set of producers that edit and they they've never met us, you know? So I don't even know if that will help as much because there's already another set of teams that are after that are post-production, you know, and I don't know this for sure. I'm only assuming because that's what I am familiar with, like being in production since I was 16. Um, and that's why I don't like entirely blame the producers, you know, but yeah, I think that having just diverse cast, diverse production, um, in all aspects will just help bring that culture more out and make it less of a dominant, make it a less of a Caucasian dominant world. But I like to bring back to like, let's take last season's paradise, the four or the three engagements that happened. Um, Katie and Chris's relationship, like she still had less than half a million followers when all these other people who also had love stories, they have, way more they have a million followers you know so it's like again the audience is not gravitating towards katie and katie is an amazing person i've hung out with her multiple times she's such a gem and she's had the same thing she was through a love story got engaged but is still on the lower totem pole of the follower count being a bipoc character yeah well it's like we said it's definitely takes i mean of course like you said america is racist it's um no surprise or secret um and i think it's kind of what we touched on earlier of like the franchise is going to have to take a loss for a little bit in order to acclimate Mm -hmm. the audience right Right. so it's like it's a growing pain almost right Mm -hmm. so like even though katie deserves these followers like it's you know katie's gonna walk so that someone in you know three five years from now will be able to run right and it sucks being the person having to walk oh yeah yeah um well on that you know, going back to getting really deep with it. No, um, we love to end these bachelor discussions, which we know can get a little on the heavier side with, um, something a little bit more fun. Uh, Mm -hmm. so with that being said, would you please indulge us with your casting story? Oh, okay. So (laughs) I work at a bar downtown and all these girls, all white, they love the show. They're like, I love the bachelor. I go, what are, I've never even heard of The Bachelor. This was like six years ago. I'm like, what is that show? Like, that doesn't really happen. Like, blah, blah, blah. Didn't really watch it. These girls always talked about it every week that we come into work. And fast forward a couple years later, my coworker at my office, um, I'm just loves living vicariously through me because I'm like dating and she's married, you know? And she's like, you know what you'd be good for? You'd be good for The Bachelor. I go, no, like people don't really get cast for that kind of thing, whatever. So then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to put an application in just for the heck of it. Like whatever, for fun. I think I like half-assed it. And then she nominated me as well. So then I got a call. Um, I remember I was like just about to fly to Italy with my family. And I got this call and like, what the heck is going on? Like I, I put this application in like literally seven months ago and now they're calling me seven months later. And I'm like, this is not real. Like blah, blah, blah. I called them back. And then basically the rest is history. I went through the whole thing, finals weekend, blah, blah, blah. And here we are. So the first time I contacted you was like seven months after you submitted and sort of changed. Yeah. Yeah. So I literally forgot about it. So from that first time they contacted you till like final casting or like maybe signing a contract or whatever, how much time did that take? I don't know if I can say, but months. Months? 
months. Can you give us like a ballpark number of like times that they interacted with you? Like in terms of like interviews or whatever? A lot. They, yeah, they called me a lot. And then, um, is a lot like more than 10. Yes. Less than more 10. than 10. More than 10. Wow. Oh, that's, that's a lot, yeah. man. So these people knew a lot about me before mm-hmm. I even stepped out of the limo, you know? So. Wow. Yeah. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Um, well, kind of like a transition from, uh, both bachelor, but also like real dating now. Um, I mean, since we're both from Syracuse, I feel like I have to ask that if you're planning out like your ideal hometown date, like what is that? And it's going to be like Syracuse themed, like a ton. Like oh, what, gosh. what does it look like? Like where, where are the spots, you know, what do we got? What's it look like? You can do upstate New York ish in general. Yeah. Too, I guess, so, if you wanna. um, I was very close to hometowns. I was about two weeks away from hometown. So we had a plan, uh, what our hometowns would look like and make calls. So I had two different scenarios. If we were going during the fall time, I would love to go to Beacon Skiff, which is a apple orchard in upstate New York. Super cute. Um, and then I would probably bring him to bar tent, my, like my restaurant to show him a cocktail and we'll name like a cocktail after us or whatever, you know, right. something All cutesy right. that I made up. And yeah, or I would have gone to Skinny Atlas, which is a town over from us, yeah. as you know, mm, very nice yeah. place and have just dinner on the boat because they do like boat tours. So yeah. we'll do like a, yeah. a moonlight dinner on the boat um, late at night and then see my family afterwards. But yeah, I don't know. Lots of you see, Peter missed out. He could have had. All I know this. he could have had all. What this. is he doing? He could have seen Skinny Atlas. What is he thinking? <laughs> Skinny Atlas rocks. Uh, so you've also mentioned here and there, like the different jobs you've had and how you had six jobs during the pandemic, and that went down to one, and how you're you know recently signed with a brokerage in Manhattan. You are truly a woman, uh, a Jill of all trades, and I was wondering, like, if you could tell us some of your your main hustles. You know, give the Tell the people exactly what it is you do for the most part. Yeah. So I am a real estate agent in central New York and just recently a signed agent in Manhattan as well. So I service both. Um, I'm also a real estate investor. I have a couple of landlord properties as well as I flip houses as well, um, as you saw from my time on the show. Mm -hmm. And I am also an insurance agent. Um, I sell like car insurance. I also sell life insurance as well. So that's two, actually it's three different licenses because I also do commercial insurance. Um, I'm a bartender at two different bars. I bartend downtown Syracuse and then I bartend at another bar during um, football season up north. I am a model and actor since I was 16. So I do like billboards, you know, small commercials and stuff. You'll see me like Wegmans, Turning Stone. Um, what else do I do? I have my own marketing didn't you company. Have a, didn't, you, didn't you have a Destiny USA ad? I, feel like I actually I still have a Destiny USA ad. Yep. Ooh, I, I like how niche this is getting for Syracuse, but I need to call that out because it's a big, a major deal. Yeah, it's a pretty large mall um, in our area. I think it's the sixth largest mall in the U.S. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something yeah. like that. But I have a billboard down there. Um, I walk by it all the time, and it's so bizarre because I was 17 when I shot that, and I'm like, I was such a young how did it little still up there? <laughs> so wild. Yeah, it's weird. I look nothing like her anymore. But 
<laughs> I, have my, I also have my own marketing company. I help market small businesses on social media. And is that it? How many was that? So oh, that's, that's a lot. It? So I, I mean, some <laughs> of these, some of these things are very like lucrative, profitable, you know, like the being a rental owner, you know, being up, being in real estate in general. Like these are some pretty great and awesome career paths you found yourself in. So I'm curious, why do you, um, still continue to bartend, uh, occasionally or at all? I mean, I don't guess I don't know how much you do it, but. So let me tell you something. I'm a very smart person with my money and my time. Mm-hmm. I can either do two things on the weekends. I can either go out with my friends on the weekends or I can socialize still and have a fun with my friends, but get paid to do it. So that's the answer right there. Oh, There's that. <laughs> All right. So with that, want to close out with some rapid fire? Heck yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's what I was waiting for. All right. So first one is what was your AIM a- or AOL screen name? Oh my gosh. Okay. You're going to die. Sasha Rich. <laughs> 999. Let me break it down for you. Sasha, because I love Brad Stalls. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rich, because Amazing. I wanted to be rich. And 999 Naturally. was the highest number you could go <laughs> without going to the next number. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Um, do you believe in ghosts? Yes or no? Somewhat. Um, my gym, I'm sure, is haunted. And I've definitely <laughs> heard things. But I pay no mind to it. I'm like, if you're cool hanging out, I'm cool with hanging out. So we're good. <laughs> um, so when you're either uh, the, the the men who are listening for Paradise or just in central New York, are there any deal breakers that they should be aware of? If you're not funny, I can't even be around you. I can't even be friends with you. Like, you have to be funny. You have to be sarcastic as well because I'm a sarcastic asshole and you have to be able to take that. I love banter. So that's my thing. And it's like, am I, am I flirting with you or am I roasting you? It could be both. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are your stances on garbage plates? I had my first garbage plate ever during COVID. And I know I'm putting all of upstate New York to shame here by saying that, but (laughs) it is the best Sunday meal after having a long weekend. And you're like, I just want to eat like a dog, basically. Like, like a, just, just like, just, just like a monster. Yeah. For those of us who aren't yeah, from upstate yeah. New York, can you explain what a garbage plate is? <laughs> a garbage plate is macaroni salad, hamburger meat. Sometimes people put hot dogs in there as well. Um, what also was in there? Honestly, I lose track. Like I know it's just <laughs> like, it's, it's like burgers and like hot dogs and macaroni and cheese and. Oh, um, home fries. Oh, that's the. Yeah, and sometimes beans. But the macaroni salad, the hamburger meat, the sausage or hot dog meat, and the home fries are what makes the garbage plate the garbage plate. Nice. (laughs) Um, And out of all your jobs, what is your favorite and which job would you never do ever again? I love all of my jobs. And I know that sounds super cliche, but I would not put my energy and time into something that I don't love. Um, I think there's definitely seasons of what who's the favorite, just like who's my favorite child. Right now, it's Stephanie Real Estate. It's so hot right now, and I'm just loving it so, so much. Um, I've hit goals that I never thought I could ever hit. I ended 2019 with only about uh, $1 million in sales, ended 2020 with $3 million in sales, and now I'm on route for $7 million for 2021 already, and it's only April. Like, crazy, crazy. I love it. I love houses, and I love buildings. 
That's that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, well, I think with that, that that's all we had for you. That's that's all we got. That's it. Um, is there <laughs> anything that you wanted to plug or like, you know? I mean, there, there's so many different hustles to, to pitch. I know. Like, if there's a couple that you really want to throw out there, handles um, or where people can follow you. I just want to say that I appreciate the support and the followers that I do have. And even though I may not be the hundreds of thousands of followers like my my white co-cast mates are, I appreciate every single one of you. And I see all of you. And I hope that you stick around for what's next to come because this is not the end. This is just the beginning. And hopefully we'll all get there. And I thank everyone for the support. Heck yeah. Well, we appreciate you right back. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really fun. Yes. Thank you so much. And that's another episode of Baby Got Batch. Um, we just want to say another extra special thank you to our guest, Tammy Lee. It was really fun having her on and chatting. And I think it's important to be able to have... Um, discussions and interviews and, and chats like these where you don't necessarily 100% agree with each other, but you're still just chopping it up. Um, and so, yeah, thanks, Tammy. Thanks, Tammy. This episode was produced by us, Brett Vergara and Camila Salazar. Have any questions, comments, opinions, haikus, love letters, or maybe suggestions of who we should have on the show next? Email them all to babygotbatchpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and five stars would make me real happy. Real happy. And if you're not following us on social media yet, we're at babygotbatchpod on Twitter and Instagram. And then listen, while you're already there, you got the apps open. If you want to follow us personally, we're at Vergara. And at Kami La 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 with two A's at the end on both. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.